Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to Unheard. I'm Freddie Sayers. This week, NATO is gathering in Vilnius in Lithuania to accept Sweden as a member and discuss Ukraine joining the alliance. The US, meanwhile, is sending cluster bombs to Ukraine. Everywhere you look, it seems, there is talk of war. Very few people seem to be talking about peace. Even left-wing media outlets that for decades have taken an anti-war line seem to be beating the drum for more weapons. So what is going on? Has peace become somehow a naive objective, irrelevant to these more hard-edged times? Well, Professor Ashok Swain is one of the world's leading advocates for peace. He's a celebrated writer and academic of Indian origin. He is now a Swedish citizen and professor of peace and conflict research at Uppsala University in Sweden. He has a huge social media following with over half a million Twitter followers, and his current research focuses on emerging security challenges. Well, there are plenty of those. He joins us from Uppsala now. Welcome to Unheard, Professor. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I thought we'd start, since it's in the news, talking about Sweden and its accession to NATO. It seems now that the Turkish objection is going to be dealt with, that they will join the alliance. What's your overall view on that? Sweden was uh, uh, or had remained peaceful for over 200 years, had not taken participated in any war. Uh, Sweden had survived Stalin. Uh, Sweden had... Uh, so this is a, a decision of Swedish uh, government which was taken last year to join NATO, uh, which of course there has been a number of debates in the country before, number of discussions going on, but it came abruptly just before election in Sweden. I think it's 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 a matter which needs to be looked at uh, whether it really provides security to Sweden or not. There are two sides of the story. One is that, as I said. It has, Sweden has managed to remain peaceful. Sweden has managed to rem not being part of the war and kept its uh, territorial integrity without being any, a part of any military alliances mm. for more than 200 years. So that's just just to inform our our viewers about that because they might not know that Sweden has been technically neutral for I think it's since 1812, since the, uh, the Napoleonic Wars. 
It's a very long-standing principle of that country, and somewhat controversially during the Second World War, they remained neutral. But for whatever the rights and wrongs of it, the country has flourished as a neutral state. So, and the country has benefited tremendously by not being part of any military alliance or any war. So, but the question now in this new era, whether being part of the NATO will improve the security, internal security or not, that's something which is difficult to say because there are two sides of the story, which I probably, I don't know the military side enough to make any judgment about that. But if I can say only that the Sweden being Sweden, it's a country of only 10 million people. It's a very small economy considering the larger big European powers are there. But uh, saying that, I think uh, despite all this, despite the smallness, but its unique characteristics as a Sweden as a country, Sweden's neutrality, Sweden's independent voices in the world, which had kept Sweden in a very different league in the global power or global moral politics. Mm. And that is, uh, I think, will be seriously affected, as I see, being part, part of the member of a NATO, being part of a member of any military alliances. Mm. And I think that much I can say that the, the joining the NATO has taken away the uniqueness of Sweden's uh, in the or the Swedish Sweden's position in the world and being prom, being seen as or at least its ambition of becoming a moral world power. So, what's the debate been like within Sweden? Because you'd think for something so cataclysmic, something such a change from centuries of tradition, there would be a big, vibrant debate with people on both sides. Is it true that there's been very few voices against it? There hasn't been any debate. If, if I may say so, or if it has been, no one has particularly been part of it. Uh, so it's a, it's a, it, it, it was a, a kind of when the decision was uh, taken that Sweden will apply for the NATO, and particularly even after, I mean, the kind of uh, ridiculous demands with the Turkish president has been put on in uh, Sweden, and Sweden as a country of its, uh, you know, respecting human rights, minority rights, uh, pro giving protection to the people, those who are uh, fighting for whatever the way they are, their freedom in their countries. So those kind of things were, were actually never discussed in a manner which we all see that in different parts of the world, these kind of major decisions and major, major you know, changing a position after 200 years, it needs discussions. It's when you're really applying for it. So are there, any, are there any politicians or leading newspapers or anyone who is raising questions about the NATO membership? Not as far as I know. It's, it's not that 99.9% of Swedish people want to join the NATO. There is a significant number, almost half of the country have the reservation, but the, post, but the kind of the, the, the way the people, those who really dominate uh, the uh, public discourse, they are not part of it. In one side, which is which is a, which actually wanted to be part of this, I mean, the, they really want the Sweden to join the NATO. The ones who have the reservations, I think they will be at this point of time when the Ukraine war is taking place and Russia is such a hugely sensitive topic in this country. So I think it's a they have tried to or they have mostly uh, remaining silent or 
saying things which are uh, not really being making bigger impact or questioning the motives behind it. The, the dynamic you just described where the kind of official public discussion is different from how ordinary people feel, that seems to be very common now, not just in Sweden, but in the UK and, uh, and in the US. It's almost like something's changed in the past few years that the, the official public conversation is more sanitized, it's more policed or something. Do you observe that, that something has changed in recent years? It's a global. It's, it's of course, it's, 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 it's came from, it's, it's so Sweden is, uh, despite everything, despite thinking that it is, uh, but, but, you know, yes, it is the Sweden has been part of this global pattern of uh, this, there is a big disconnect between the uh, power and the people in, in that sense, what people really want and the, what the power thinks that particularly in the kind of uh, uh, dividing the people or dividing the world or fighting the war on those issues, the decisions are being taken at the top level and by few people and the others, those who are questioning it, uh, they will be easily branded as anti-country uh, or the uh, going against the country, those kind of anti-national or whatever mm. way. Or pro-Russia, that's the other accusation that gets made a lot. And as I keep on saying that probably if there would have been discussion in this country before Sweden joining or deciding to apply for the NATO, it would have been these things like how Sweden will be blackmailed by Turkey would have come out that time that what would be done, how we can really prepare ourselves not to be blackmailed by Turkey and also to sometimes by Hungary. So the question is that we we try to also would have thought that, you know, in one side, we are looking for certain ways that how to uh, prepare our security, pro protect it from the Putin. But that time we also need to go to Erdogan. I mean, you know, in one sense, we have to um, um, compromise with Erdogan to get the security from Putin. So those kind of things, which I think needed some real discussions would have been good that if a, and that is a, demo, a country which is democratic, which gives opens of this kind of different views. If these things gets discussed, the policy the, the policy taken is taken in, a, of course, it bit, bit delayed, but always the policy has much more lasting impact rather than this kind of way you take the policy decisions. Let me ask um, about another issue that's happened this week, which is that the United States has agreed to send cluster bombs to Ukraine as part of its war effort. Now, these are particularly nasty types of weapons um, that at least the UK, along with many, many other countries had signed a treaty to promise not to use. The US hadn't actually joined that treaty. What's your view on that? That's, I mean, it's sad, but it is not unexpected. If we look at the history of these cluster bombs, actually it started from the Second World War. Uh, the Germans first used it, uh, kind of called the butterfly bomb or something. Uh, then, but the US has used it most. Uh, if you look at the Indochina war, particularly in Laos, uh, the U.S. has um, used and still these weapons are uh, affecting the life, killing people in Laos. In the Cold War time, during the Cold War time, at least we had a pretension that we have 
a democracy capitalism on our side the other side is 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 a communist where there are uh, you know authoritarianism but that's that is not there that is not there means we in in this part of the world our democracy have been really really uh, going through a very serious crisis and the kind of allies we are making or the kind of people we are really uh, trying to entertain or keeping to uh, the West or the America is bringing to its side, they do have a very serious human rights and democratic uh, you know, destructions record uh, in different, I can name several, but you know. Please do, please do. I mean, recently, like take for example, Biden um, inviting Modi for the, the Indian Prime Minister Modi uh, for the state dinner, giving him the second time opportunity to talk to the uh, two houses of the other joint houses, uh, parliament or the Congress. Uh, and Biden knows very well whether 75 to more congressmen and women are opposed to, and the senators are opposed to, or they wanted him to discuss human rights, democracy issue with him, minority rights issue to him. Uh, so the, why, why you do those things? Why you give this kind of incentive to the people, those who are destroying the democracies in their countries? Uh, if we are fighting for the democracy, if we are fighting for the human rights, if we have a value fight, we must remain in that sense that we protect those values, then, then it makes sense. Then it makes sense that we are going for this. I mean, more than, I would just say more than just President Biden, um, the French president, Emmanuel Macron, has invited Modi to join him on Bastille Day, which is this coming Friday, to observe the military processions and be part of his, be his guest of honour, essentially, during that festival. It's the same thing, I suppose. Same thing, but we need to know the reason why it's being done. It's being done to sell weapons. The, when Modi went to US, uh, the two major deals, one, the predator drone drill deal, which is quite high price deal, which has been given. Another one is to buy um, a number of, um, of the in engines for the fighter aircraft, which India is producing. So the, and now when in, in, in France, the idea is to buy some nuclear submarines or the submarines as well as uh, also the 25 or 26 uh, of the um, uh, the fighter plane the Rafale again from the France. So these are the being done to Modi to for the arms deal. So this is the same discussions mm. with this coming up. This why the cluster bombs are being supplied. The cluster bombs are being supplied. The the the, the kind of decisions are being taken to supply this kind of mass killing weapons and arms knowing everything that how it will be used how this is going to create the all kinds of challenges but we are mostly as you say if you go back to our discussions that there is a huge disconnect what people want and what the powers want mm. the people want in if you ask an indian or ask a people in in ukraine Take, for example, we are talking about the uh, uh, cluster weapons in Ukraine. We, we want the people, uh, we want to protect uh, people in Ukraine, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But if you are using those cluster bombs in Ukraine, where 40 to 50 percent of cluster bombs are going to be, if even if this, it's, it's, it, it, it achieves it's a result of um, creating a kind of uh, power balance vis-a-vis Russian fighters, but the 40 to 50% of these cluster bombs will remain in the European land 
uh, sorry, Ukrainian land, which will kill Ukrainians in the years to come. And also, if you remember, 1991, the first uh, war, Gulf War in Iraq, where the U.S. had used these cluster bombs after the Iraq war, then the U.S. was cleaning up these cluster bombs, where six to seven American soldiers had also died. Mm. So, so in 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 one sense, I really don't see why you. What is that? So on the cluster bombs question, you don't think it's necessarily in Ukraine's interests to use them? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's not Ukrainian people's interest. This is again comes back to the, the probably the Ukrainian ruler or Ukrainian. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Government regime wants it. But the, look at the long-term impact will be on the Ukrainian people themselves, mm. because the, I mean, and look look at the how the cluster bombs kills. Cluster bombs kills mostly the civilians after the war is over. Most of them, 40 to 50 percent of them, are children. Do you think anyone who wants really good about the Ukraine will want to put those kind of weapons in the Ukrainian land? which will kill the generations of Ukrainians for you know, the time to come. Why so, you need that? So who does want it then, Professor? I mean, this is, this is the question. Why are we taking these kinds of steps? Who does it benefit? Why is it happening if it's so intuitively not a good idea? Look at what is happening in Afghanistan. In the 20 years of involvement of US in Afghanistan, who, the 2.2 trillion has been spent. How much money has U.S. has given to the uh, Afghanistan as a development aid in that time? 38 billion. So where 38? If you look at then how the rest of the money, who has taken this money? It's the military contractors. 
the military establishment has taken those money. So this is the military establishment and the political. It's a military establishment, the political leadership connections, which leads this kind of, gives this kind of uh, support and the unnecessary wastage of resources, which 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 is becoming devastating, not only for the present because of the war and uh, the way it, 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 it creates human misery, but also the world's fight in the climate change, the environmental resources, poverty, you, the sustainable development, you name it. So I think it's a, it's it's a, it's a very easy answer to make that why the 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 way those money is being brought because it serves the interest of military complex as well as the political leaders. I guess the objection people would make listening to you is that in this scenario, Russia has been the aggressor. At least that is the commonly accepted story. And what is Europe supposed to do in response? They need to defend themselves. So sort of disarmament of a unilateral kind doesn't feel like a responsible thing to do in this climate. Most people from the left or from the right are talking about ways to rearm, whether it's more European arms or America or whatever their proposed solution. Very few people are talking about disarmament. Yes, that's that's actually um, uh, people for tend to forget that uh, uh, the armaments has not brought the security. Uh, despite we have armed ourselves, I mean, look, uh, you, of course, you can say the um, the military expenditure of the Europe had gone down, but the, of course, we have been in the part of the NATO and the US has been spending 45% of the world's military expenditure, 800 to 900 mil billion, while out of 2.2 trillion US spends alone. Despite that, Russia invaded Ukraine and that doesn't really make any sense that this argument that if we buy more and more arms, create bigger military, which brings us a security, what the security will be? Because what is, look, there is no doubt that the Putin invaded Ukraine. Putin is in this case a, an aggressor. There is no doubt about that. Nobody questioning that. But how you need to really address this issue? Can you address this issue by spending trillions of dollars with the, your just increasing your military? But has militarization stopped the war in the past? Will it? St how do you then come into conclusion that it will stop the war in the future? Mm. The point, the question is the diplomacy. Where is the state of the diplomacy now? Is there any discussions, uh, negotiations going on with the Russia at this point of the time? Uh, there was actually even, you know, since from 1962, 19, uh, the, when the Cuban crisis, 1960, the Cuban crisis, since then, we, at least there was a regular negotiations between US and Soviet Union that time. Despite what the world was going through the middle of real Cold War, dirty Cold War politics. Not at this time, there is nothing, no one knows what's going on there. There is no communication, Is there is no negotiation, there is no, no diplomacy. Those things need to be brought in, brought in quite. So, that, so your answer then to how should we respond to aggression is to try and get a diplomatic conversation going. Is that right? I mean... Once again, I have to play devil's advocate here. A more realist person listening to this would say, well, look, that all sounds nice. Of course, we want peace, we want diplomacy, but if someone's invading your country and they're a bad actor who are not gonna play by rules, they're not gonna agree to 
any kind of compromise, you can't have a negotiation with them. You need to first, and this is the rhetoric we hear in the UK and in the US, you need to first push them back. You need to get to a strong point militarily, and then maybe you can have negotiations then. What do you say to those people? I think it's when we haven't really negotiated, when, how do you that know that negotiation will be successful or not? If, if, if we think we don't want any negotiation, let's see the other side of the story. If we don't want a negotiation settlement, we want a military solution. Is there a military solution to this crisis? It, can anyone tell me that the Putin, unless at this stage, is going to accept the defeat and take its army back to the Russia and lose his power in Russia? That's impossible. That's not going to happen. So the the question, and we all know that what even if whatever happens, what Putin is capable of, uh, what kind of the the kind of um, the nuclear powers it has, it's it it has it is sufficient resources that it can cause real damage to the world. So this is not the real thing that we were really uh, should assume that we have a situation where we can really go on a cleaning up the military victory, even if even if it costs human life, it comes misery. I am, I, I, let's assume I agree to that. Let's go and defeat the Russians from the Ukraine. But is that possible? Hmm. So we have to negotiate at, at what a point. So if we have to negotiate, why not start negotiations from the beginning? Why not to keep the negotiations from now? And why to, but while the negotiation is also going on, why not to keep our moral principles in, in, in a place that we can argue that our fight is on, on certain, I mean, we are not really going down to that way, that then we will be the same. What is the moral value is there? That we can argue that we we have a, we we are we do have a better argument in our. So that would include not sending cluster bombs, for example. That's that's one of the things that the cluster bombs and also and the, look last year when Putin was using cluster or there was allegation of Putin was using cluster bombs. We said that this is a you know the, um, crime against humanity. So if Putin's use of cluster bomb, we consider crime against humanity, how on earth we can really supply cluster bomb to use and the, how that will be. So I think this, these are the simple questions is, needs to be asked. Mm. What about the politics of this? Because I'm not sure whether you consider yourself a person of the left or not, but traditionally it was the anti-war left who were making these kinds of arguments. It was, you saw it in Iraq, you saw it in Vietnam, you saw it, you've seen it for decades. Suddenly it feels like there is no anti-war left anymore. What do you think has happened there? Whether you call it left or right, that's not the thing because the peace or uh, uh, war is never an acceptable option. I mean, uh, those people, those who haven't seen the war, they can only say that they want the war. The people, those who fight the war, they don't fight, want to fight the war. Ask any soldier who has fought the war, they don't want to fight the war. But why these uh, anti-war groups, those who have been quite, you know, since 1960s, 70s, which you have seen them, they have been, they have, uh, in one sense, they have found other areas 
in like if you look at it they have gone into climate change they have gone into poverty those other issues identity identity there are other issues they are taking up they usually don't see the link between all these things so they have kind to find yeah because after the end of the cold war or the when you know at least in the last few couple of decades they have found their own way of looking at things and at the same time they don't want to be also now seen as an anti state even look at i mean i recently i'm writing a book on climate security uh, particularly the amount of uh, um, greenhouse gases the military is being using. I mean, like if you take, for example, the American military greenhouse gas emissions is equivalent to all the Scandinavian countries greenhouse emissions in all kinds of ways. But nobody talks about it. Mm-hmm. They are not subject to this negotiation. So they can only, you know, this is a, a no climate activist talk about it. Uh, in those who the uh, uh, all these youth activists or whatever whoever they are they try to uh, stay out, uh, outside so this so this is something which is which is quite uh, so you see it emerges today when you see protests whether they are for gay pride or for climate you always see ukraine flags in amongst them so it feels like being on the side of ukraine or being visibly supportive of ukraine has fused with some of those other progressive causes. And I don't think those complications are thought about very much. It's also, in in a sense, there is very little ideological differences exist now uh, between the two camps. Uh, we have uh, accept some kind of, uh, you know, even in the democracy, we are, uh, there is no capitalism or communism, those in the both sides that, but the democracy and authoritarianism, those gaps are also uh, not as clear as it used to be before. And I think this has really made the ideological groups uh, positioning themselves very complicated as far as I can see. And also, as we discussed, they have been finding their own niche and they are moving into that. And that's why they are, they are, mm. And those are much easier, much or or much more safer options rather than going for anti-war at this point of time. I mean, in America, I don't know if you pay attention to American politics, but very surprising voices have emerged in the early part of the next presidential election, including Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who is a technically a, a liberal left Democrat, but who is now probably the most anti-war. Uh, of all of the candidates, and even Donald Trump, actually, um, who would be considered on the opposite end of the spectrum, is also talking about doing a deal with Russia, bringing a hasty end to the conflict. What What are your thoughts on that? They're very surprising places to be finding uh, peace talk. Yeah, I think it's it's these are uh, this is a very different world, and this is not happening the one which you expect because the people look. Um, uh, you you would have expected the Biden to be more peace side rather than Trump, uh, but that's 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 a very different time we we are moving, mm. and I think in in a sense, uh, as I said, when there is a very little ideological difference, not only exists between the two groups, also between two parties, two main parties, those who are 
in, the, in, in, in Europe or in UK or in the US, we came into middle and those there is a very little difference what exists. It's also in Sweden. So there is those kind of things are uh, you you don't we don't really see that you know the from the left liberal side will be people opposing the war. It's actually opposite happening. So I think it's a, it's a it's a very confused time. Final question for you, Professor. Do you have any hope that some of those alternative voices that are coming from the left and the right and are finding new audiences on platforms like this will kind of build momentum and that there could be a change in the conversation and that that sort of um, centrist blob that seems to have all of the airtime will be pushed out? Do, do you think there's hope for a, uh, new voices coming back into the conversation? There is always hope. I mean, the kind of issues we talked about, like the issue on gender, issue on climate change, the issue, those were always also in you know you know some. If you look at in the past, they were also in the fringe, but now they have been getting the momentum. There are people those who are with them or race and those things which are those groups are getting the momentum and getting this. But this is the the piece which is supposed to be a kind of things which really brings together all these things. You will be only successful on the climate. You will be only successful in gender equality. You will see racial equality. All these things you will be when there is a peace. But if that, I think that's some things which need to be, uh, it can never go out of fashion. Professor Ashok Swain, thank you for your time today. It's my pleasure. Pleasure talking to you. That was Professor Ashok Swain, head of the Department of Peace and Conflict Studies at Uppsala University in Sweden, one of the world's oldest universities. Professor of Peace, that is a dying breed, it would appear. Whether he has another moment, whether people like him with their message come back into fashion remains to be seen. But as always, it was a pleasure to hear someone with a slightly different point of view. Thanks to him. Thanks to you for tuning in. This was Unheard. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.